Well, good morning, TBA. How are y'all? Good. And I'm so glad you guys are here today. So we are continuing in our Hoosier One Part Two. Why are we doing a part two? Why are we talking about this again so soon? We just did part one not too long ago. Well, because at the core, this is who we're about, right? If you look at everything that we do here at TBA uh, Church, everything from our children's program, our youth, discipleship, focus groups, D groups, homework club, food pantry, Spanish ministry, heart to Honduras, everything that we do is done with the intent of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ or equipping you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sharing the gospel of Christ is one of the main functions of our church. It's our mission. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's what we're commanded to do by the one that we follow. And it's something that we all have to take part in. Everybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus should have at least one person that they are praying for and looking to share the gospel with. If you don't have your one, if you don't have that one person that you're praying for and that you're pursuing to share Jesus with, then I would encourage you, man, start seeking God. Ask him, who's the one person you want to put on my heart? Who's the one person you want me to be praying for and pursuing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? We have the hope of salvation, right? We have the hope of salvation within us and it isn't meant for us to keep it to ourselves. There are so many people in this world that are living without hope and we have the answer to their hopelessness. So it's our job, it's our mission to bring that hope to, the, to them. We say it every Sunday in our announcements, right? We say it every Sunday that we are literally the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus to those around us. And so that's what we're about. We are called to live incarnationally. That's what we're gonna talk about, living incarnationally. What does it mean to live incarnationally? Well, our faith, our Christian faith, is centered on the belief that Jesus Christ, who was God, came to this earth as a human being. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. This is referred to as the doctrine of incarnation. And it means that in Jesus, God became embodied here on this earth. God left the domain of heaven. He was born in Bethlehem. He took on our humanity so that we might share in the blessedness of heaven. He took on our, our sins so that we could have his righteousness. He entered this world to free us from the chains of sin and death and brought the kingdom of God here on earth. Jesus is God's loving embodiment in the world. And Jesus perfectly manifested what God is like. That's what it means. He manifests what God is like. All throughout the New Testament, you'll see reference to it. It says that Jesus was the word of God, right? That he was the visible image of God. And he was the perfect expression of God's character. It's why when Jesus says, if anybody has seen me, he has seen the Father. And that's because Jesus is the embodiment of God. All our understanding of who God is, is through Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. But the incarnation wasn't just about what God did in Jesus once upon a time. The incarnation tells us something about what God is always doing. It's always about the incarnation of God today. While there is only one incarnate God of Son of God, God is always embodying himself in the world. And he does this primarily through his followers. That's why 
As followers of Jesus, we are collectively referred to as the body of Christ. We are in a very real sense an extension of Jesus' earthly body. We are God's hands, feet, and voice in this world. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter (coughs) 2. He says, imitate God. Sorry. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Followers of Jesus are called to imitate God in all things. This includes imitating his incarnational love and the ways that we interact with other people. Jesus was willing to set aside the privileges and rights of God to become fully present here on earth, to be with us, to live with us, to dwell with us, to be involved and concerned with our lives, and to be concerned with our salvation. So too, we are called to be a people who are willing to set aside the comforts and the conveniences of our own lives and become fully available to others to be concerned with their lives and their salvation. And as we live incarnationally, God himself is continuing to be embodied in the world. People need to hear about Jesus, but they also need to see him. And as ambassadors on this earth, we are to reflect his love, to show his heart, and incarnate his presence wherever God sends us. And so today, I'm hopefully going to be able to give you some practical things that will help you live incarnate in the world around you. Okay, so we're going to go through a number of these things. Here's the first one. The first one is live a life that represents Jesus well. Live a life that represents Jesus well. Incarnational living is characterized by glorifying Jesus in everything that we say and do. If you are a follower of Christ then you represent Christ, meaning you are the walking advertisement of Jesus. This includes your social media posts as well. If your life doesn't show any evidence of Jesus, meaning fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, then how can you expect others around you to believe that the gospel has any validity at all? If you are living your life in direct opposition of God's will, then how can you expect others to take you serious about following God? Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, do you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so we wouldn't be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. To you yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless to all of you believers. As you know that we treated you as a father treats his own children, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, urged you to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Paul worked hard to build credibility. He made sure that he wasn't a burden to the people at Thessalonica. He made sure that he treated them with love and lived in a way that gave validity to his words. Through the words that he was preaching, he invested in relationship with them, developed a trust with them, a foundation, because he had to earn the right to speak into their lives. 
Listen, I'm not saying you have to live a perfect life. That's not what I'm saying. That's impossible to do because we're all messed up, me included. We all sin. We all have things we struggle with. But thank God that he still works through us in spite of our fallen nature. But what I'm talking about is a way of life, a consistent way of life. Listen, if you get drunk every Saturday night, it's hard to talk about self-control with your friends. If you speak like a sailor and lose your temper at work, it's hard to talk about patience and kindness. If your posts are filled with hate and bitter words, how can you talk about the love of God? See, people are watching how you handle things, both in good times and bad times. Again, we're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about a lifestyle, a lifestyle that is dependent upon God and living a way that brings glory and honor to his name. Live your life in a way that builds credibility. Give the gospel validity. And then you will be able to speak into the lives of others. I don't know who said it, but it's a good saying to remember. You and the way you live your life in front of others may be the only Bible that somebody ever reads, right? So let's live a life that represents Jesus well and glorify him in everything we do. And then the next thing we need to do is we need to make sure that prayer is the foundation in all that we do. I know Tim talked about this last week, but man, we need to keep talking about it because it's essential in all that we do. And prayer is key to everything. You have to understand that none of this is gonna be effective if we're not on our knees in prayer asking God to intervene. Don't underestimate the amazing power of prayer. I mean, prayer does a couple of things for you when you're praying for your one or you're trying to share the gospel of Christ. One, it keeps us dependent upon God and his power. It reminds us that we can't do anything in our own strength. It's not in our strength to bring salvation to people. It's God that brings salvation to people. Two, I think it changes our attitude towards the people that we're praying for. It helps us to see them with different eyes and different hearts. It helps us to see them the way that God sees them. And it increases our desire and our help to help them find salvation. Man, I can't emphasize this enough. You gotta be praying, praying every single day for your one. Praying in our our corporate setting, when we have prayer together on Sunday nights, we wanna pray for people to find salvation. When we're prayer and walking in Highland City, it's to help people find salvation. If you don't know how to pray for your one or where to even start, man, there's a guide up here to help you get started. Take that guide home with you and then commit to praying for your one. And not only that, but begin praying that God will start to put you in situations that will allow others to see Jesus in you. Begin praying that God will start to use you in a tangible way to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus. Because while you may be praying for your one, God still may have others that you haven't even thought of, that you haven't even met yet, that he wants to put in your path. And we have to be ready and available for those interruptions in our life which is our next point. We have to engage in the community around us. That means we need to explore and engage the culture in loving and redemptive ways. This was the way of Jesus. Jesus attended parties. He ate with sinners. He hung out with prostitutes. He touched leopards. He embraced outcasts. He got along with the wealthy. He enjoyed spending time with a diverse cross-section of humanity. There was no part of the cultural landscape that Jesus did not travel. 
See, sometimes as Christians, I think we isolate ourselves. We only surround ourselves with other Christians, but we need to live our faith outside of these walls. Being a follower of Christ is more than just coming on Sunday and singing a few songs and accumulating Bible knowledge. Faith requires actions. James makes that really clear. Without action, our faith is empty and useless. You need to find out where God is at work. Look at the people that he's put in your path and be the tangible hand and feet of Jesus to them. And you might say, well, Dave, what does that look like for me? Well, it looks different for each person. I think that's the beauty of the body of Christ. Each of us are unique with different talents, gifts, and resources. I mean, some of you have the gift of talking. That is your gift. You could talk to a complete stranger and make them feel like they're your best friend in five minutes. As an introvert, that scares me to death. And it's the last thing I'd ever want to do. But that's okay. We're supposed to have different gifts. My gift is different than yours. But we use those gifts together to reach a variety of people. God has given us all different passions. I have a passion to work with teenagers and to help them fall in love with Jesus Christ for the rest of their lives. For some of you, that scares you to death. But that's okay. Because God put different things on our hearts. Your passion doesn't have to be my passion. Your passion may be working on cars or helping those with financial needs, feeding, clothing the poor, working with children. Maybe your passion is to go to Africa and spread the gospel of Christ around the world. Wait a minute, Dave, are you saying I gotta be a missionary to live incarnationally? Yes, you do. Because we're all called to be missionaries. But I'm not telling you you have to quit your job and sell your house and move to Africa unless God's telling you to do that and then you better well do it. But what I am saying is that God has put you in a unique position and placed different people in your path. We have different friends, different families, different schoolmates, different coworkers. I cannot live out my faith with your coworkers. Only you can do that. So what you have to do is you have to figure out what gifts and talents God's given you. You have to combine them with the passions of your heart and then look at where God is at work in those areas he has placed you in and live out your faith. Just live out your faith. And then make room. Make room for people. Make space for people in your life. In his book, Organic Outreach, Kevin Harney said this. He said, Jesus lived with balance in his life he made time to be alone with the Father. Even when he was busy, he was careful to make space to train and equip his followers for ministry. He taught the masses as he traveled and preached, yet he was always available to connect with the broken, the outcast, and the spiritually hungry. He made space for people in his schedule. He didn't see them as a disruption or an annoyance, but as the very reason he came to this earth. Have you ever studied the Gospels just to take note of how often Jesus was interrupted over and over again, whether Jesus was traveling, resting, or teaching, he was surrounded by the pressing needs of others. Frequently, someone came looking for a healing, a blessing, a prayer for deliverance, an answer to a question, or a response to a concern. Jesus never seemed bothered and never treated people like interruptions. Instead, he made space for them. <coughs> How do we see people in our lives? Do we look, to, look at them as interruptions, divine appointments? And if we're gonna bring the spirit and the presence of Jesus to this world, we have to make space. 
in our lives. We have to make space daily for those that are broken and lonely and outcast. And we can do that formally or informally. We can make space formally by scheduling time to work at a shelter, visiting people in jail, going on a mission trip, volunteering at the homework club or the food pantry. But we can also do it informally and make space for others just in the normal flow of our life. Maybe it's talking to, taking a coworker out to lunch. Maybe it means sending an encouraging email because you've seen somebody who's struggling. Maybe it means going across the street and chatting with your neighbors, <sighs> right? Maybe it's engaging in a longer conversation with those that you interact with during the day. Maybe it's just hanging out in your front yard and making yourself available and see who God brings to you, right? Learn to enjoy when people show up unannounced. Slow down and make room for people. And then be a good listener. Be a good listener. In his book, You Are My Witnesses, Dr. Charles Van Ingen says this, He says, once we begin to notice, listen to, and make ourselves available for our neighbor, we can begin to understand our neighbor more completely. Notice that relational evangelism does not begin with speaking. It begins with listening. And it may take a very significant amount of time and attention to listen well before we've won the right to speak. We have to win the right to speak into the lives of other people. I think too often followers of Jesus forget to listen. We're, quick, we're really quick to point out what's wrong in people's lives and we tend to focus on the sin that's in the world and sometimes we stand in condemnation before we really get to know people's stories and we can be judgmental and harsh in moments when people need a listening ear and a warm embrace. And Jesus listened to people. He didn't only hear their words. He cared about them inside and out. He didn't see people as projects They were the object of his love. Many people looked at Matthew and they just saw a hated tax collector. He was a traitor to the Jewish people, a thief. Jesus looked at Matthew and he saw one who would become his friend and one of his inner circlers of his followers. The Samaritan woman at the well was seen as a disgrace to her community, a moral failure, somebody to avoid. But Jesus wanted to talk to her, to hear her heart, to offer her living water. And he became her friend and then her Lord. Jesus had a habit of listening and relating to people right where they were. I mean, we've got to be careful about making quick judgments on people because of their circumstances or because of the sin that they have in their lives, right? Man, we're quick to put people down because of the sin they have in their lives. Remember, you were once in that place as well. Paul even said, I was one of the worst of sinners before I came to Christ. Now listen, it's not that we should avoid disagreements or hold back from speaking words of truth. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. But if we fail to listen to people's stories, we're not gonna have the authentic relational connection that we need that will truly impact them with God's words of grace. Right? Jesus listened and he loved. Sometimes he responded in grace, Other times he gave very strong words of challenge and conviction. But Jesus knew what was in their hearts. And so he always knew how to respond. He had an understanding of their motivation. For us, we don't have that insight, right? So it's going to take a lot of listening 
and a lot of dependence on the Holy Spirit to figure out where people are before we speak. Jesus listened. We must learn to do the same. Followers of Christ should learn to listen as we encounter people face-to-face in our daily interactions. And then, last, we have to be ready to sacrifice. (coughs) I'm so sorry about my cough. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Um, Jesus sacrificed everything to reach out to us and purchase our salvation. While on this earth, he was rejected, abandoned by friends, abused, and arrested under false pretenses. He humbled himself and washed the feet of his disciples to teach them what a true follower looks like. When he was arrested, Jesus could have stopped it all in a moment. He could have called thousands of angels down to rescue him, but he didn't. And while he was hanging on the cross and shedding his blood for the sins of the world, people continued to mock him. At any point, he could have said, these people are not worth the sacrifice. Instead, Jesus bore our shame and he carried our sins on the cross and he died in our place, paying the ultimate price to redeem us. Jesus said, if anybody will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If our desire is to reach those who don't know Jesus, then it has to be more than something we just say. It has to be more than just a sermon series. It's going to require a willingness to make sacrifices in our lives. Incarnating the presence of Jesus where we live will involve giving of ourselves, even when it hurts. For a lot of Christians, we we don't like when we talk about suffering and sacrifice. It's something we don't want to do. We like to have God's favor. We like to have his blessings his good gifts, the abundant life, but we don't like the idea of paying a price for those things. Gary Thomas wrote in his book, The Beautiful Fight, he says, perhaps one of the reasons we so feebly bear the marks of Christ's promise transforming work in our lives is that we refuse to pay such a heavy price. We want to be delivered from our troubles instead of being delivered from our sin. We want to be like our affluent neighbor instead of like our rich savior. Listen, sharing Jesus is gonna cost you. It just will. It will cost you friends. Sometimes the gospel offends, it just does. And when you share with people and they understand where you stand, they may not wanna associate with you anymore. It's gonna cost you time. It takes time to invest in people. Time that you could be doing your own thing instead. It takes time to walk with people. Walking with people is messy. It just is. It takes, it's messy and it takes a lot of time. It's going to cost you resources. You might lose your job or a promotion because of your willingness to share the gospel with your coworkers. That is a distinct possibility. It might cost you the status in the eyes of others because you're going to be labeled closed-minded, a hater, intolerant, a bigot, racist, homophobic, You're going to be misrepresented, misunderstood, and falsely accused. Sharing Jesus is going to cost you. It just is. If we want to be salt and light in this world and bring the presence of Jesus to others around us, then we have to choose to serve those in need and sacrifice regardless of the cost. 
We have to be willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel out of love for people who may not even notice or bother to thank us for it. Listen, there's no greater pursuit in life than following Jesus and spreading his amazing good news and love. All of these other things that we chase in life, money, job, achievements, entertainment, all these earthly things, man, they're meaningless. In the end, they're just meaningless. And they leave us unfulfilled and empty. But helping somebody find eternal life, helping somebody find hope when they thought that there was no hope, helping somebody find restoration for their soul, well, man, that fills. It fills overwhelmingly. And it spills out to others. And it starts to become contagious. Can you imagine TBA Church, if every member of this church radically started to pray for revival, made it a point in their lives to share the gospel of Christ, regardless of the cost, made it a point that they would pray for their one, two, three, four, made it a point to share Jesus with them no matter what, because the stakes are eternal? Can you imagine what would happen as people start to become what God has called them to be, this church becomes what God's called them to be, and we have salvation after salvation after salvation after salvation, and testimony after testimony after testimony. It would be contagious. It would be amazing. What if we became that, ter- that church? It's what God's called us to become. It's what God's called us to, to do. I believe that we can be that kind of church. Live a life that represents Jesus well. Prayerfully pursue the people that God's put in your path. Engage in the community around you. Make space for people. And don't miss those moments. See those interruptions in your life as God designed. Those interruptions in your life, those things that drive you crazy because it gets you off your schedule or messes up your plans, man, look at what God's doing in the midst of all of that. They are planned by God for a reason. Be a good listener. Earn the right to speak in the lives of others. I don't know how long it will take you for you to have the opportunity to speak about Jesus to those that you're pursuing. It may be today, it may be next year. The timeline's really up to God. But remember, it's God that draws people to him. But don't stop. Don't ever, ever stop. Continue to pursue. Continue to pray. Continue to build relationships. Continue to live incarnationally, even in the midst of rejection. Never give up on them. Never give up on them. God never gave up on you. So as the band comes forward, I want to leave you with this. Easter is coming up. Who will you invite? Who will you invite to Easter services? Listen, this is an easy ask for you. People are more likely to accept an invitation to church at Easter and Christmas than any other time of the year. A survey done not too long ago showed that three, get this, three out of four people, three out of four 
said they would have attended an Easter service if somebody would have personally asked them to attend. Three out of four. That's an easy ask. Start praying for that person. Invite your one. Pray for them every day until you ask. And if they say no, it's okay. Just continue to pray for them. Let's fulfill the purpose that God has given us. Let's accomplish the mission that he has given TBA to be a church that is literally the incarnate hands, feet, and voice of Jesus in our community. To be a people that are willing to sacrifice in order to share the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your grace in our lives. God, thank you that you use us, Lord, in our incompleteness, God, in our brokenness. God, you use us to share your gospel. That's your plan for, uh, for your church, God. God, my prayer is that we'd be a church who is on mission. God, a church who is willing to do whatever it takes to, to be the representation of, of who you called us to be, Lord. We are your representatives. We are your ambassadors, Father. Help us to live up to that calling and sharing Christ with everybody around us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.